The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, this weekend we are beginning a brand new series together, and so for the next five weeks we are going to be studying the book of James. And so a little bit of a pop quiz for you today as we start off. James had a very famous older brother. Anybody know who that was? That's right. Don't be shy about it. It was Jesus. Yes, indeed, it was Jesus. Now, here's one of the interesting things to me, especially if you are not a religious person. This is kind of an amazing thought, I think, at least. Um, Jesus actually had brothers and sisters, and one of them was James. And James, he was not a disciple, right? James is not an apostle. James um, was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, this is what um, I think actually ends up making this little document that we think of as the book of James so incredibly interesting. And that is the fact that James, the brother of Jesus, he doesn't show up anywhere in the stories, right? He's not quoted any place. Again, he's not a follower. He's not a disciple. It isn't until after the crucifixion that James suddenly appears in the city of Jerusalem along with Peter as one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Now, this is absolutely fascinating to me, right? Because think about this, right? James was aware of all the stories, right? James saw the miracles, James actually heard the teachings. James was there at the crucifixion. But it wasn't until Jesus' resurrection that James finally believed that his brother was his Lord. And 2,000 years ago, James, the brother of Jesus, he writes something that if you have a Bible, if you have access to a Bible, you actually have access to something that the brother of Jesus wrote down. And I don't know what it is that you're reading today. I don't know what blogs you follow or if you get you know, a newspaper or if you read your news online, but I'm telling you, whatever it is you're reading, this is actually better than that. And you should actually read, you should actually read James. And listen, if you say, listen, okay, I don't really believe that the Bible is necessarily true. I'm not going to read it. So if that's you, that's fine. Let me ask you this. When in the world was the last time you read something because you thought it was true, right? I mean, that doesn't happen, right? No, you actually read things to see if they are true. So just open up James and just read James because James, he writes this letter to these followers of Jesus who are living in the city of Jerusalem. And really, the entire purpose of James' whole letter that he writes is just to simply answer one very simple question, which is this. What is faith? What does faith actually look like? Because James is going to tell us in just a couple of weeks, he's going to tell us, listen, on this side of eternity, James is going to say, faith has no practical purpose if you don't use it. Right? He says, faith that isn't lived, that's not going to help your marriage. Faith that isn't lived, that's not going to help your relationship with your kids. Faith that isn't lived, that's not going to help your relationships with with other people. That kind of faith, James says, it actually won't make any impact whatsoever. And so James, the brother of Jesus, he begins this little book that he writes down for us. He actually begins by tackling what is perhaps, right, perhaps the biggest obstacle the biggest roadblock that any of us will ever face in our lives to actually having a living faith that impacts our daily lives in a Monday through Friday kind of a way. Open up your Bibles, take them out, turn to page 1880 if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you this morning. James chapter 1. Now James begins the very the second verse that he has to say. Basically, verse 1 is high. Verse 2, James starts by saying this. He says, Consider it pure joy, 
my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, to which we hear that and we think to ourselves, okay, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. I am not, I am not going to do that. And see, James, he starts off this way, right? He starts off this way because James knows, right? He's not confused. He knows that suffering is always suffering. He knows that pain is always pain, right? You can't change those things. He knows that's true, but he starts off this way because he wants to try to get our attention. He, he wants to say something to us, and so he, he tries to, to shock us a little bit. And so he begins the sentence with this, this word right here, consider, Right? He's saying, consider, because I just want you to, to think about something. He says, I get it. I understand. I, I, I've, I've been there, too. I have unanswered prayers, too. I've been hurt, too. I, I've got my questions and my doubts, also. And James says, I get it. When bad things happen to you, it makes you go into a funk, doesn't it? When bad things happen to you, you fight it and you resist it and you struggle against it and you try to change it. James says when bad things happen to you, it maybe makes you want to abandon your faith in God or walk away from your hope in God completely. James says if you've ever felt that way before, he says I get it. I get it. I've been there too, James is saying. But I want you to see something about those times, about those circumstances that, that maybe you miss, maybe you're not aware of. I want, I want you to help, help you to see those situations differently most of the time. And so James says, I, you know, listen, you don't have to do this. You don't have to. I just want you to consider it. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face Right? And the word that he translates, that we translate here as face, it, it, it's used to describe situations like a robbery. Right? It's used to describe situations like a shipwreck. It's used to describe those circumstances in life that you know, you're kind of going about your own business, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, you know, just out of nowhere, right, there's this big bad set of circumstances, and they just knock you off your feet. And James says, my brothers and sisters... Followers of Jesus, people who, who love God, when you face those kinds of trials, not if, he says, when. When you face those kinds of trials, when it takes you by surprise, when a family member calls or a doctor calls or you show up at work one day and it's not good news, James says, in those moments, I just want you to consider something. He goes on in verse 3. That the testing of your faith. And we just have to hit the pause button here for a moment because this is an enormously, enormously huge statement that James makes right here. Because by saying this, James is, is actually affirming something I think that all of us suspect. James is actually underscoring something that every single one of us kind of intuitively knows is true. And that is whenever you hit a bump in life, whenever I hit a, a bump in life, it actually tests your faith. Right? It tests the integrity of your faith. It, it tests the, the durability of your faith. That trials, in a very real way, trials, they put your faith on trial. The trials even put God on trial. 
And see, James is acknowledging the, those feelings that every single one of us feel in those situations when he says to us, the testing of your faith. That in every single situation, every set of circumstances that are negative, every trial we face is in fact a test of our faith. Do you really believe? Can you continue to believe? Will you continue to believe? See, James is letting us know that he actually knows, that he gets it, that he understands. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what it is that we're feeling when we face those situations. And then he continues. And he continues by actually pointing us into a direction that, if we're honest, is a bit uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's something that we all just kind of know is true. And James says the testing of, of your faith, it actually produces something. It actually develops something. And what it produces is perseverance, right? The, the trials actually produce persevering faith. That's James' point, right? The trials produce persevering faith. And perseverance in James's definition, in his context, perseverance always means faith that actually holds on to in spite of. And see, when you read the New Testament, and especially the teachings of Jesus, here's what you discover. That if Jesus, in fact, spoke on behalf of God, if the Apostle Paul spoke on behalf of God, if the entire Old Testament actually speaks on behalf of God, then God actually seems to honor. And in fact, God is actually most glorified by persevering faith, faith that holds on to what is true in spite of. And see, here's why. Here's why. Faith that, gets, that always gets a yes from God, see, the truth is no one is impressed by that. Right? That, that's hocus pocus. That's magic. That's prosperity preaching. The faith that actually impresses you the most, because the truth is we're all the same in this area. The faith that actually impresses you, you, you the most is the faith that gets a no from God or no answer from God and continues to hold on anyway. It's the faith that continues to persevere anyway. It's the faith that holds on to what is true in spite of anyway. It's not the faith that always gets a yes. Right? I mean, when I hear those, okay, okay, so I walked into work on Monday and I got fired, right? And I came back on Wednesday to clean up my office and they decided to make me the president of the company because, you know, I prayed and fasted for two days, right? When I hear those kinds of stories, they're inspiring, right? I get it. But you know what the problem is with those kind of stories so many times? Right? When we hear those stories, do you know what we're tempted to think? We're tempted to think, I want to know the formula. Right? I, I, want, I want to know the trick. Right? Those stories don't make me fall in love with God. No, what those stories do is they make me think, okay, I want to know what you did because I want to do what you did because I want to get what you got. That's what those stories do. James says, you know what honors God? You know what glorifies God? It's the person who trusts God anyway. It's the person who holds on to what God has given them anyway. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God is most honored by, God is most glorified 
by persevering faith. Faith that holds on to what God has given them anyway. And that's why when James says, when things are tough, right, before you quit praying, before you throw your arms up and you say, I'm never going back to church again, James just says this, consider, consider, because it is at least possible, James would say, it's at least possible that God can redeem. It's at least possible that God can restore It's at least possible that God could take that thing that your enemy is trying to use to destroy you and rob you and shipwreck you of the faith that your Heavenly Father has given to you. It's at least possible, isn't it, James says, that God could take that thing and do something with it? James continues, and he says this. He says, perseverance, right, perseverance must finish its work. Right now, I don't know if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know how long you've been a follower of Jesus, right? But, but James is saying, listen, God is at work in you, and you can hit the eject button. You can hit the divorce button. You can hit the alcohol button. There are all kinds of buttons out there, James says, that you can hit to try to relieve your pain, that you can hit to try to relieve your circumstances. But James says, just just." Just wait. Just wait. God is in the process of building something in you, building in you the faith that honors him the most, the faith that holds on to what is true in spite of. In fact, James would say this. It is perhaps the point of greatest tension in your life right now that is actually pointing you to God's greatest activity in your life right now. Now, one more thing, and then I'll move on from this. In a couple of months, January, it's going to be my 29th year that I've had the privilege and honor of being a part of the staff here at Faith. And in those 29 years, I have heard a lot of stories I've heard a lot of perseverance stories, and I've heard a lot of eject button stories. And, and, and in all those stories, right, in every one of those stories that I've heard, um, I, and this is in no way a criticism, I should say that, um, because the whole reason why I've been doing this, why I've spent the last 29 years of my life doing this, is because I, I love helping people find Jesus or find their way back to Jesus, Right, but in all those stories that I've heard, and, and maybe this is a part of your story, um, all, all those stories I've heard, oftentimes they go like this, that something bad happened to you in the past. Right? You hit a bump in, in the road, and so you hit the eject button, and you abandoned God, and you abandoned faith, and you walked away from, from your relationship with God because something bad happened. Right? And let's be honest, that didn't make your life better, did it? I mean, in all the stories that I've heard over these 29 years, I have never once heard the story that kind of goes like this, right? I was younger, I was in college, and and something bad happened, and so I walked away from God, and I was like, God, if that's the way it is, then I'm out of here, I'm done. And you know what? Ever since then, I'm glad I walked away from God because I've made better decisions. I'm healthier now, my relationships are better, I'm more compassionate, I'm basically just a better person now that I've gotten God out of my life, right? I have never heard that story. Now, maybe it's out there. 
but I've never heard it. Usually the story that I hear goes something like this, right? Something bad happened, right? And so you hit the eject button, and yet here I am. Five years later, 10 years later, 30 years later, and when I look back, my life didn't get any better, right? The situation, it didn't change, It didn't get better because I walked away. And listen, I am not judging you. James is not judging you. In no way. I am not upset with you in any way. If anything, if anything, I'm kind of pleading with you. Just please. Please, James would say, don't make that mistake again. Let perseverance finish its work. Let faith that holds on to what is true in spite of finish its work. Because your persevering faith, the faith that God gives you that holds on to in spite of, that's actually going to bring more honor and glory to God and it's going to leave you better off than hitting the eject button every single time. And so James continues, and he says, perseverance, he says, it must, it must finish its work so that, right, in other words, purpose clause, right, so that you may be mature. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've ever wondered, okay, how do I actually become a mature follower of Jesus? Maybe what I need to do is just memorize a whole bunch of scripture. James says, that's great. It's going to make you smart, not mature. Maybe what I need to do if I want to be mature, you know, is I just need to get really good at being really good, right? I just need to learn all the rules, follow all the rules, follow all the commands. James says, that's awesome. You will be so obedient, it will be amazing, but you're not going to be mature. So that you may be mature and complete, James says, not lacking anything. In other words, if we do not allow right perseverance, if we do not allow faith that holds on to what is true in spite of, if we do not allow that to continue its work in us, we will never be mature. We will never be complete. We will be lacking something. See, this is what James is telling us. And the truth is, Jesus taught us the very same thing. In fact, in many ways, common sense even seems to argue for this, doesn't it? Right? Isn't it true that there's something about perseverance that that makes you stronger? Isn't it true that there's actually something about perseverance that that makes you you deeper? And, And maybe this is a brand new idea for you, even if you've grown up in church or you've been in church for years and years and years. But the truth is... All throughout the scripture, spiritual maturity is always measured in terms of persevering faith, not perfect behavior. And see, this is actually another reason why you should read James. Even if you've tried to read the Bible before and you gave up because you didn't understand the words or it just seemed too complicated, because James is actually a realist. Right? And see, James actually understands what we're thinking. He's thinking, listen, I don't want to do, he knows we're thinking we don't want to do this. He knows that we're thinking, listen, I, I don't want any part of this. He knows that we're thinking, okay, I don't want persevering faith, and you don't want persevering faith. He gets it. He goes, can't can we just change the subject? Right, Joe, you know what I want to hear today? I want to hear that God just blesses all the blessable people. 
right? I just want to hear that if I do these three things, right, because it's a formula. If I just do these three things, if I just memorize these things, if I just say them the right number of times, if I just stand up, sit down, turn around the right way, that God will always, no matter what, whatever, right? That's what we want. James knows it. He says, I don't know what kind of God you're talking about, but that's not our God. That's not the God of the Scriptures. See, James knows that we just get so frustrated in these situations that the next thing he says is just so incredibly, amazingly practical. We kind of want to rip it out of its context, but you can't. Because what James says is this in verse 5. He says, if any of you, right, which is really all of us, if any of you lacks wisdom, Right? If any of you finds yourself in one of those situations where you just want to hit the eject button and not persevere and not hold on to what is true in spite of you, if any of you lacks wisdom in the midst of that, James says, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. See, now this is so incredible to me because, because James says, listen, I know what it's like to be blindsided. Right, James says, listen, I, I know what it's like to be doing everything right and then suddenly everything goes wrong. He says, I get it. When you find yourself in that kind of a situation, James says, ask God for wisdom. Literally, he's saying, pray this prayer. God, what is going on right now? I do not understand what is happening to me. Show me what is going on. God, I need wisdom. God, I don't want to quit believing. God, I don't want to run away. God, I don't want to go do something stupid. God, I need wisdom. I need you. And see, wisdom in this context, right? it's the ability for us to actually see our circumstances in a broader context. Right? Because pain, we all know this, right? any kind of pain, physical pain, relational pain, emotional pain, any kind of pain, it always shrinks the world down to the size of just me. And so James is saying, listen, that is true for all of us. You need to ask God to give you a broader context. You need him to help you see more than just your own circumstances right now. And James tells us that God will answer that prayer. That for the person who wants to hold on to what they know is true in spite of, God will answer that prayer and give you wisdom. And see, there are some days, for me, where, where all day, this, this is just simply my prayer to God. God, I, I just don't know what to do. right? Because I'm just like you. And I get hurt. And I get afraid. And I get angry, and I have doubts, and I don't always understand why. And so on those days all day long, my prayer to God is just simply this. God, give me your wisdom for this situation because I do not have a clue what I'm actually supposed to do right now. James continues in verse 6. He says, but, but when you ask, but when you ask, you, you, you must believe and not doubt. And remember, the context here is for wisdom. Right? But when you ask for wisdom, James says, not anything else, when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. 
When, when you say to God, okay, God, this whole thing has taken me by surprise, and I don't like this, and I don't see any way forward, and God, I don't even know how I'm going to put my foot, one foot in front of the other tomorrow. James says, when you say, God, I, I need you, I need wisdom, James says, listen, you got to believe what's true. you, you got to believe that you have a heavenly Father who cares for you. you you got to know that you have a heavenly Father who has not abandoned you, who has not walked away from you. He says, when you ask, you cannot doubt that those things are true about your heavenly Father. He says, because those who doubt... Those who doubt are like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, the person who doubts, James is saying, is the person who actually takes their eyes off of their heavenly Father and puts their eyes on to their circumstance. Because when you put your eyes on your circumstance, you're gonna, that's going to undermine your faith. And when you look only at your circumstance and not at your heavenly Father, perseverance, you're not going to hold on to what you know is true in spite of, James says. Because if you're only looking at your circumstances, you're going to want to run. You're going to want to eject. And so James says that person, right, that, that person should not expect to receive anything. And again, the context is wisdom. Should not expect to receive any wisdom from the Lord. And so to put all of this in context, this is what James is saying, and this is, this is so huge, and I know that for many of you today, you could actually stand up here and you could talk about a time in your own life where you took this teaching from James and you applied it in your own way, and it made such an incredible difference for you in the situation that you were in and, and your faith and holding on to your faith in spite of your circumstances. James says this, listen, when you are surprised by a trial that shows up in your life, when the bottom drops out and you didn't deserve it, when things change and it wasn't your fault, you get that phone call, you, you get that letter, and you're thinking, I don't want to open this. And suddenly, for no fault of your own, right, your whole world is upside down. James says, listen, don't assume the worst. Don't assume that God has abandoned you. Don't assume that, that God doesn't actually care about you. He says, in those moments, I just want you to change your thinking. I want you to reconsider what is going on because this is a test. This is only a test. And the only way to build persevering faith, faith that holds on to what is true, what their Heavenly Father has given them in spite of, the only way to do that is just like you build a muscle. It is stretch it and rest it, stretch it and rest it, work it and rest it. And God is faithful James says. Because see, my natural tendency is to believe that he isn't. Or that God has abandoned me or that God has lost track of me or that God just doesn't care about me. And what is he doing in you, James says? He says he is working to mature you. He is working to build and to increase and to grow and to create persevering faith. Faith that holds on to what is true in spite of. That maturity as a follower of Jesus isn't just about how much you know. It, it comes. Maturity actually comes, James says, when bad things happen. And you persevere. You hold on to what's true that your Heavenly Father has given you in spite of. And you consider. You consider that God could actually use what he may not 
remove. And then James wraps up this whole first section of his letter by saying this in verse 12. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because when they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, your heavenly Father says, listen, the reason why persevering faith, faith that holds on to in spite of, the reason why that is so honoring to me is because in a very unique and in a very special way, you loved me even when your enemy tried to rob you of the faith that I have given to you. Your faith, God says, was in me, it was in my character, and it was in my son's cross, and nothing, nothing, nothing else. And see, it is so important to James that we actually understand this, that before he says anything else to us, he wants to make sure that we understand that God's absence is not inactivity. That, that, that this feeling that God isn't aware does not mean that God is absent. In fact, it may actually mean that God's greatest activity is taking place in that part of your life right now. That God may seem inactive, but he is never inactive. And see, many of you know, many of you know that this is a subject that is just intensely personal for Autumn and for me. And if you are in a situation of life right now where you're in the middle of a trial, I get it. This may make you want to slap James, right, and not listen to James. I get it. And so if that's where you're at today, this morning, I just want to say a couple of words to you before we wrap up. James is in no way trying to communicate to us or anybody that God somehow made these bad circumstances happen in your life so that persevering faith could grow in you. That is not what God is, that's not what James is saying, that's not what your Heavenly Father says. Neither James or I have any idea why you're facing the trial that you're facing in your life right now. But what we do know, what we both know, is that God wants you to hold on to him during it, and God is holding on to you. And the truth is, it is in these trials that faith actually becomes intensely, intensely personal. This is where Jesus is the only one that can help you to persevere because he is the author and he is the sustainer of your faith as you resist what the enemy is trying to do to you by robbing you of what your heavenly father has given to you. His history tells us that James watched his older brother die. He watched his mother grieve the murder of a son. And that James himself lost his own life, that he was martyred because of his faith in his brother. Now, I don't know where you are in life today, this morning. I have no idea where life finds all of you. What I do know is this, is that every single one of us, we are in one of three places right now. You are either going into a trial, you are in a trial right now, or you are coming out of a trial. And so I want to give you the opportunity today, today, 
no matter which one of those three places that you are in, to put a stake in the ground and declare with me that you are going to trust God no matter what. That you're going to trust God no matter what it is that's happening right now. You're going to trust God in spite of whatever circumstances the enemy is trying to use to rob you of your faith and to take away what it is that you know is true, which is that Jesus came here to die and to live for you so that you would never be alone, regardless of the trials that you face. And so let's say this together. I am going to trust God no matter what. Say it again. I am going to trust God no matter what. One more time. I am going to trust God no matter what. Heavenly Father, it is absolutely amazing to think that you know all of our hearts, You know all of our fears and our doubts, Father. You know all of the circumstances for every single one of us in this room. You know the trial that we are facing right now. You know what the enemy is doing to try to take away that precious gift of faith that you have given to us. And so, Father, my prayer for everyone who is facing a trial in life right now is that you would strengthen them that you would help them to know in some very tangible way, Father, that you are wisdom, that you are with them, and that you are giving them wisdom to see their circumstance as being bigger than just the pain or the hurt that they're feeling right now. And Father, I pray very specifically that for anyone in a trial, that you would, in some very tangible and meaningful way, show each person that, Jesus, that you are You are their faith sustainer and that you are the one to hold on to and never let go no matter what it is that we face in life. And Father, as we prepare our hearts for communion, as we confess not only our sin to you but also our fears and our doubts, maybe even our anger, Father, I pray that in these moments that you would do what only you can do and you would grow and you would strengthen. Maybe, Father, that you would create or recreate the faith that holds on to what is true in spite of. The good news of the gospel the promise of your Savior is that not only are your sins forgiven, but the trials that you face, you will never face alone. The questions and doubts and fears that you have, I am with you, Jesus says, through all of them. And I promise to never leave you or abandon you, but to give you my grace and my peace and my forgiveness each day. And so your sin, it is truly forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.